Oh, just as a heads up for teaching next week, they've put me in a room that no longer has any form of whiteboard. So today my only option was to put on the projector and type. type. I did that anyway mm -hmm. because I've got such terrible handwriting. I love your handwriting. It looks like barbed wire. Well, students would snigger and I, after a while, thought... Really? What little assholes? Yeah, so I just thought, nah, can't be doing that, so I just typed. But don't they look at your handwriting and think... God, I'm gonna have to execute a horse caught in that. It has such a flair for the dramatic. Welcome to Save Me From My Shelf, a literature podcast where we take classic tomes off their pedestal to make you less anxious about reading them. Our jokes come from a place of love and for a specific teaching purpose. However, if you think that making fun of great literature, and maybe some mild swearing, is offensive, this might not be the podcast for you. Hello, you are listening to Save Me From My Shelf, the little podcast with big dreams. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so my co-host here has complained that my British-centric introduction to him last episode was too easy, so... <laughs> Good luck finding an American cognate for this one. Yeah. <clears throat> Watford Gap Services over here is Daniel. Now oh, come on, that's so easy. It's so easy. There's an there's an American service station where all the big acts went. I said there's three possible options I could go for here. Oh, good. Watford Gap Services is the famous boundary between North and South, so I could just say Mason Dixon. Great. I was just thinking also just like a gap, a famous gap, Cumberland Gap. Or the Continental Divide is Abby. So, would you like to read some letters, please? Um, you don't have a choice. You're reading some letters, certainly please. Certainly would, sir. Um, okay. We've got one from Ziggy Stardust Dapple, who says, Lady Chatley is deaf, my favorite episode. <laughs> Thanks so much for the laughs. And <laughs> immediately after that, please do beloved Tony Morrison. <laughs> That's, that's, could... not, that's what laughs are going <laughs> Yeah, first of all, we've gotten some requests to do, Beloved. I am slightly worried we're going to go to hell. Yeah. That's going to be a real hard one. It will take all of our skill. Yeah. Our collective well, I'm, skill. I'm hilarious, unfortunately. Uh, uh, unfortunately, so, yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll probably be fine. Repeat offender Adrian Gentleman. Your favorite name of all time. Yes. Says, regarding the Odyssey part two, thanks for a great episode. I always get a laugh. Aww. Just at least one. Now we have a letter from Jessica. Hello, Abby and Daniel. First, I wanted to say I am so enjoying your podcast, currently going through your back catalog right now, so thank you. And second, just curious. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Second, just curious, do you have any Hemingway or Steinbeck in your upcoming list, or Kurt Vonnegut? Um, all the blokes. All the blokes, the blokiest of blokes. I think we have all three of them on our long list, but I don't think any are scheduled for anything coming up soon. I'm not actually a huge Hemingway fan. That's part of why I'd like to hear an episode on one of his to see if I can see what I'm missing. Also, disgust. There's only one M in Hemingway. It should be Hemingway. So, 
Uh, <laughs> Jessica went on to list a whole bunch of other texts. A bunch of them, I gotta be honest, I haven't heard of, but I'm gonna look into these and then I will get back to you. Thank you again for your entertaining and educational podcast. I really enjoyed the analysis section. Makes me wish I'd done more English lit classes in university. Cheers, Jessica. Well, Jessica, you can come study with Daniel and I as well. We have a master's in English. We have an undergrad in English, and I take on the occasional PhD student. So if you want to study with us, please do write me an email, and we can make that happen for you, probably. Wouldn't that be Daniel and me? You can study with Daniel and me. What did I say? Daniel and I. That's a little English lesson right there. <laughs> free, free charge. <laughs> we also have a Patreon. You know, because we've taken a lot of small breaks from the show this year, and now we're asking for money. So it's just a real banner year for our bullshit. <laughs> in terms of the Patreon, we put out a request in the last episode for things people would like to see over on that platform. And so what we've decided to do, in addition to our normally scheduled videos, which come out on the 15th of every month, is on the first of every month, we're going to do a little alternating thing. We'll do six mini episodes a year of our outtakes and bloopers. And then in between those months, so alternatingly, we will do six virtual book groups with subscribers per year. So the book group will be about an hour long session. We'll jump on Teams or Skype or something with you guys, and we will talk about a contemporary book we've all read. So please sign up to our Patreon to find out more details. And that will be formally launching probably November 1st, I would say. Thanks to everybody who has already signed up. Yes, thank you. So Daniel, what is our text today? This is a bit weird, this one. Oh, good. As opposed to all your perfectly hinged Yeah. <laughs> well, before. yeah, they'll look hinged after this. Nine score and 16 years ago, <laughs> our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation dedicated to plenty and prosperity to a full dinner pail, cooling on every windshield. A what? Nation, <laughs> what? A nation devoted to the production of good old family values, of ten acres, a dry martini, and a wife, who's a chef in the kitchen, a hoover on the rug, and lies back to be pulped and pierced in the bedroom. Daniel, Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> now we're engaged in a great civil war, testing whether the, that nation can so endure or whether it will instead be acid, amnesty, and abortion for all. <laughs> well, I say, let's make America great again. And if it doesn't even want to be, we'll go out and buy another. Yes, we can. Because we're doing The Stepford Wives by Ira Levin, 1972. I don't know if that made no sense or it made sense on a really cosmic level for me. Well, I don't know how much needs explaining. But None of it. Don't explain a word. Well, I'll say anyway. Shut your glorious about, pie hole. No, I was thinking about the whole of presidents. Mm -hmm. And then these are all taken from presidential campaigns. Dinner Pail, William McKinley. Um, Famous. Famously. I'm sorry, what was the... Lie back and get poked pierced and pierced. Pierced and poked. Poked oh, and pierced. That's what, after, when, when Pierce was running for election, he says, you've been poked, now be pierced. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That is, sorry, it's because of your fancy accent. I thought you said poked. Well, I sort of yeah, said it which, in those terms. Uh, I, I know. slightly make it sound a bit like it Naughty. could be about sex. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Now let's never speak of it but, again. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. 
Okay, so we should go without saying we are about to spoil this text for you. In terms of the content, there's a lot of misogyny in this, gaslighting, implied murder, and some real kinky sex stuff, so we might work a little bit blue. I kind of had fun with my script on this one. Bit of polking? A, and a hell of a lot of piercing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do when you do dirty jokes. Yeah, sorry. Background! Right, so I 11 he was a 20th century novelist and playwright from New York, most famous for science fiction and horror novels, and a lot of these have been adapted into films, so The Stepford Wives, which has been adapted twice, once in 1975, and another time in 2004, that one was panned. I've uh, not seen either, actually. I've seen the 2004 one. From what I understand, I think they're both supposed to be quite bad. The 2004 one, it's going to come up in the analysis because it completely undercuts the whole point of the novel. Yeah. Like, it's it's offensive in right. what it did with feminism. Hmm. We are due for a good adaptation of The Stepford Wives, and I think I've hit a winner this week. Oh, okay, great. Well, he also wrote Rosemary's Baby, which was made into a film, I don't know when, by Roman Polanski. I think 69, 68 or 69. Okay. Well, it came out in 67. And The Boys from Brazil, Samba, Klaxon, please. So, there's not much to say about Ira Levin, so I thought I'd just sort of contextualize this a bit. Wow. So, the novel... It's sort of a product of the context of second wave feminism and hostility to it during the 1970s. So, in case anyone doesn't know, second wave feminism, a broad political and cultural movement that sort of roughly spanned the 60s to 80s, and it sort of built on this more sort of civil equalities that had mostly been gained in the 19th and early 20th centuries by the first wave. Instead, it attacked kind of patriarchal structures and sexist practices in society more broadly. Things like birth control, um, sex work, is sex work pro-feminist or anti-feminist? A lot of fair representation in the media, which this book touches on a bit. There's a character who writes children's books that have fairer representation. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And things about, like, the division of housework and should men participate in, like, raising their own kids. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying, that it's less, yeah. it's less like, about whether you can vote or not. It's less like sort of limpid legal things like that. Yeah. Though obviously legal stuff definitely comes into it. Oh, but, yeah. But more about, yeah, how the division of roles in society and how those manifest uh, themselves culturally. Yeah, big names of the movement. Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem, they're, they're in the book, aren't they? You're a big fan of second wave feminism, as you and I have discussed amply. You've got, you know, Betty Friedan's name tattooed across your chest, nip to nip. Yeah, which is probably the most <laughs> typifying act of the second wave of feminism, isn't it? <laughs> I like that sort of, um, the militant side. I just think there is good stuff there. I, I don't need no wave. Then I am you're... the wave. <laughs> okay, well, I have nothing to say to that. Because yeah. the problem with second wave of feminism is that it's mainly about white women. Class, white women. Yeah. yeah. We talk a bit about this bit in Lolita as well, but I think it, the novel's about the kind of paradox of progress and reaction in post-war America, isn't it? So this was a time of huge productivity and wealth, the, the kind of post-war period, relative social equality, and a widespread access to labour-saving technology and cheap commodities. But it was culturally a very like conservative time and kind of played up the, the nuclear family and this sort of misogynistic cult of the housewife-mother. Yeah, the, the kind of social world of the novel, suburbia, that also symbolizes this paradox. You know, you can't have suburbia without washing machines and cars and a sufficient number of people who are rich enough to own houses, but equally it becomes a sort of fantasy of a kind of conservative world that never really existed. Well, we need to talk about suburbia as a horror space 
Yes, right? Because definitely, yeah. this is our this is our first Halloween episode and it has that sort of conformity where mm. everything's really creepy. Every house and every family is like one of those shining twins. Mm. Yeah, that sort of glossy veneer that is clearly hiding stuff underneath. That's what I was going to say, the other thing, secrecy, alienation. Yeah. yeah, the fact that you are isolating in some way, even in a cluster of people, but also the idea of white flight, mm. which is, if you guys don't know what that term is, it's white people leaving cities that they perceive to have too many poor and like black people in it mm. and we can go and cultivate our own little neighborhood that has you know strict access laws and and um yeah. homeowners associations yeah, 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 yeah. and that in itself then becomes very creepy and isolating there's a very good reason why the film get out starts you in know and ends in the suburbs also that it's premised on a on a form of fear like a bigoted form of fear yes not only is it a creepy little dystopia but also it arises from like the worst possible yes. feelings. Little boxes. <laughs> you know that one. Pete Seeger. So, we open with a quotation from Simone de Beauvoir's feminist Bible, The Second Sex. Or as they say in French, Le Second Sex. <laughs> uh, Your half PhD in French is really paying off. Paying dividends. <laughs> about how if men feel like they're losing women, they let them go with bad grace. So men are territorial, they don't want to give up their prizes. I'm a participation ribbon at uh, best. The book opens with a glamorous, older, welcome wagon lady giving tons of domestic products to Joanna Aberhart, our protagonist, who is a newcomer to the suburb of Stepford. So she and her husband, Walter, have just moved here with their kids, Pete and Kim. So Joanna's a bit overwhelmed by the welcome lady. The what, her supermarket sweep style yeah. gift baskets and detergents and okay. Slim Jims and... What's that? It's like a sweet or something. A Slim Jim? Oh, honey. No, it's beef jerky. All right. It's like a snack, though. Anyway. Not, <laughs> not completely wrong, don't you? I wish I could have given you a Slim Jim and told you it was candy and just seen your little vegetarian reaction. Well, in America, I wouldn't be surprised if they had, like, candied meat. So... Joanna, she's one of them feminists. I've heard of them. Yeah. She's also a photographer. Heard of them too. Yeah. And she's eager to meet like-minded women in the new town. And, you know, everyone she's met is nice, but they're also kind of very... They're a bit trad, aren't they? They're very absorbed in their domestic duties. And every woman in town is also really gorgeous, and Joanna can't account for it. So, like, everyone here has, you know, like, these beautiful high cheekbones and these red lips, like that guy from Saw. <laughs> The welcome wagon lady is sort of politely shocked that Joanna is so into women's lib. And that Walter, no less, is a big supporter of it too. How times change. Joanna and Walter, they actually have a pretty equitable marriage. She takes care of the kids all day, he earns the income, but they both take care of the house. This sounds like an impossibly low bar today, but for 72, that was actually a pretty big deal. And they're delighted to have moved out of the dirty, expensive city to someplace bigger and safer, Whiter, I think, is the subtext. Mm. And they, they've moved there at Walter's suggestion. And you know what? They're happy. One small hiccup, though. <laughs> Walter has just joined Stepford's old-fashioned men's association because that was suggested to him by one of their new male neighbors. And Joanna's annoyed, but he says, quote, too many important things are centered there to just opt out of it. Local politicking, the charity drives, and so on. Sorry to interrupt, but what is that? And how can I join one? No, 
It's just like what is a what's a men? It's just like a local men's club, like you know, like the the Shriners or the Elks Club or something. It's like a a men's. But is that the name men's? Do people call them that? No, the, I'd be like, I'm just heading out to the men's association. I well, I don't know what that I, sounds like. I guess it's like a bathhouse. <laughs> It's all queer theory. Queer reading, it's subtext. It's just a giant bathhouse. Yeah, yeah. Joanna and Walter decide that Walter's going to change the association's no-women policy from the inside. He'll start changing them all one by one like some sort of feminist zombie. It's just crazy enough to work. Walter says, quote, If it's not open to women in six months, I'll quit and we'll march together, shoulder to shoulder. Sex, yes. Sexism, no. They're going to hit this town like gangbusters. While enjoying her 2.2 acre yard one night. Did you do a measuring worth? No, I did not. So stupid of me. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's the amount that 2.2 mules can do in a day. Or is it a mule can do in 2.2 days? Right in. I'm not really <laughs> sure what an acre is now. So, she's enjoying her 2.2 acre yard. Joanna observes her next door neighbour. Quote, Carol Van Zandt, dark silhouette against the radiance of her kitchen doorway, was pressing the lid down onto a garbage can. She bent to the ground, red hair glinting. Carol straightened and stood facing her, tall and leggy and naked seeming, but edged by the purple of a lighted from behind dress. The vibe of this woman is really weird. She's like if somebody made an apple pie slutty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Carol, she's beautiful, nice, but she's quite aloof. She can't come over for a cup of coffee because she simply must wax the floor that evening while her husband goes to his club. Joanna is a little bit sickened by the big-bosomed Carol and thinks she's, quote, a compulsive housefrau. Ouch. Who deserves to be taken advantage of by her husband. Jesus! Well, yeah, that's... Give me that old-time feminism. Uh, She's practically begging to be exploited, like a 50s housewife. God, Carol's taking some real shrapnel. So the next day, Walter and Joanna show the kids around the neighborhood while they run errands. And they pass by the big Men's Association clubhouse, which is this huge gothic mansion on top of a hill with a private drive surrounded by an enormous fence. To keep women out, Joanna jokes. So that night, Walter attends his first meeting at the Men's Association, and Joanna, God bless her, she stays home, she drinks vodka, and she works on putting together a darkroom for her photography. Joanna refuses to do any housework while Walter is out. She's not going to become one of those wives. Is it like, um... Like an Orthodox Jew. Like, oh, he was a doctor, he knew he was having a heart attack, but it was the Sabbath, so he couldn't even call... Is she like that? She's like, I actually want to flush the toilet but i can't you know (laughs) walter is out really late like way later than joanna expects and she wakes up to him in bed masturbating next to her ah she thinks so that's what those boys do up at the clubhouse they get drunk and they watch dirty movies like 1950s frat boys how old-fashioned how weirdly cute and provincial (laughs) So he's caught, you know, in the act and ashamed and loses his erection. But Joanna's like, hey, baby, next time, just wake me. They end up having sex, and I cannot underscore this enough. It is the best sex they have ever had. You know, like, um, like on the cover of, like, a glossy magazine. It's like, <laughs> top, top ten tips. It's like that. It's like what they promise. They do it all the ways. The wheelbarrow. The pile driver, the legless Margaret, the fluffer nutter, um, missionary. Are all those real? No. Okay, right. <laughs> Joanna's like, 
Wow, congrats on your awesome boner, Walter. Whatever you guys are doing up there, keep doing it. And he's like, actually, it was really boring. All we did was talk about zoning laws and we played some tepid games of poker. But I've already sussed out a few other modern men like me who feel the same way about letting women in. Joanna's really relieved and more than a little smitten with Walter, who's got mad feminist cred and just rocked her nasty. That's country air for you. So, Joanna is soon introduced to Bobby, who is another woman that's re- recently moved to Stepford. And Bobby is a bit of a live wire. <laughs> I don't need to tell you. <laughs> but, but I will tell you, because that's what this, the premise of this <laughs> So, she's plain, she's a little bit messy, she's a terrible dresser, she's very highly opinionated, and a mother of three boys. Much more exciting than all the other boring biddies of Stepford. Yeah, she's lodged into a Tweety Bird sweatshirt like some sort of frumpy goddess of discord, and Joanna takes one look at her and she's like, come to me, my bedraggled temptress, and let us be delirious with sisterhood. Exactly. What's more, she is Jewish in a waspy Connecticut town. Wasp. What? What, Like you? I think it's a bit different in the UK. What are you then? WFP. A woof. Yeah. Not not P. Oh, WFC. You are listening to KWFC. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. With DJ Dan in the morning. <laughs> so, when she first comes to Joanna's place, Bobby's like, "Oh, what a pleasure to see a messy kitchen. Yours doesn't quite come up to mine. You don't have little peanut butter handprints on the cabinets, but it's good. It's very good." Huh. But a you know, wisecracking solidarity. Joanna takes it as a compliment, as it's intended to be. And they talk about how freakishly clean all the other houses are in the town. Also, what's going on with that creepy men's association <laughs> house with the creepy huge fence? Have they got a drug ring or something going on in there? Bobby's husband, Dave, just became a member. And he says, like Walter, that he's going to help get women in. But they shouldn't wait on the men. They should drum up more interest from all these bored housewives. At least one of them must be getting a little bit resentful. So they canvass the whole town. Every other woman is glamorous and they're disinterested in this little women's lib project. Yeah, they're simply too busy recalibrating the gutters and reupholstering the children and power washing the apple pies (laughs) or whatever the hell they do all day. God, they're boring. Shouldn't these bitches at least be at a Tupperware party or something? On Walter's third trip to the Men's Association, he calls Joanna and he's like, you know what, I want to invite some of the men over to continue the meeting at our place. The president, whose name is Dale Coba, but they've nicknamed Diz, he's this die-hard men's right activist, and I think it'd be a really good idea if he could see you, Joanna, and realize that women can be just as engaged and intelligent as men. As the party starts, all the dudes turn up, and Joanna's like, God, they're all just giant dorks. They're all dressed like their dot-com is just folded. Hmm. Why can't they be like Andrew Tate? Pretty cool guy. Is that why you've uh, shaved your head? Yeah. Um, what? <laughs> oh, because he's got a, he's no, no got... hair on his head, does he? You're all tatted up. That explains the Betty Friedan nip-to-nip yeah. tat. I'm a biceps. I can't, no, I'm a pex. <laughs> I don't know what the muscles are. You gotta learn those muscle groups, brah. Um, I just live them. You live them. 
Among the men are Diz, whom Joanna takes an immediate dislike to, because he just, this guy is such a creep, he just stares calculating at her the whole night. There's also Ike Mazard, who is a celebrated magazine illustrator, and Joanna knows him, and she's like, oh my god, like, you, you're the guy who draws these incredibly glamorous pictures of women. And there, there are a couple of other really nerdy, super awkward guys who are, like, all bashful and tongue-tied around a very friendly and competent Joanna. These men are just, they're so dull. They're the human equivalent of flyover states. And Joanna's like, how did all these math and science dorks get such hot, glamorous wives? I tried to come up with a prefab and all I got is something something Fibonacci sequins. I like that. I don't, I don't know if it even works in this context, but... Because math dorks and glamorous. Ah, oh, yeah. Spangly. It was a reach. Yeah. I hate myself. I like it. I just feel like it needs work. Maybe down the line. The podcast isn't going to get better from here. I okay. think that's, right. I've given you everything I have. Right. This is like an open mic for me. Hey guys, I'm workshopping some new material. Well, and then I would just be in the crowd just going like, tell, yeah. us, tell us a joke we know. When Joanna's daughter Kim calls for her, Joanna's delighted that Walter gets up to do the parenting so she can keep talking with the men. Walter isn't afraid to be seen as emasculated. And I'm like, fellas, is it gay to parent yeah. your kid? Hmm. Well, clearly in 1972 it was. Ike Mazard, the illustrator, starts doodling a bunch of pictures of Joanna in his little notebook, and they're incredibly flattering. It's the most beautiful she's ever looked. And Joanna has some complicated feelings about this. You know, a few minutes ago, she was all strong, independent, girl boss. Now, all of a sudden, she's incredibly flattered that this man, you know, values her for her beauty. Oh, the internalized misogyny. What's that bit where he says, she says, oh, you've made me look like an Ike Mazard girl. And he goes, all oh, women are Ike Mazard girls. Yeah. That's a creepy bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling a little creeped out, actually. Just because I know what's going to happen. Yeah. This really stands up to rereading yeah, yeah. and retelling. Yeah, it does, yeah. Joanna goes off to make some coffee for the men. And Diz, the creepy president, he sneaks up to her to watch her making the coffee. Quote, I like to watch women doing little domestic chores. Ugh, you howling sexist shitwit. Ugh. Yeah. Joanna's like, well, you came to the right town. Why do people call you Diz? You know, by the, if you're here, if you're going to watch, I'm going to interview you. Why do people call you Diz? And he's like, well, I used to work for Disneyland. And she's like quite surprised, isn't she? And she quite frankly says, you don't look like someone who enjoys making people happy. <laughs> so he's disgusted with her and says, oh, how little you know. Oh but, no, we'll never open up the association to women now. Yeah, faux pas, unless. Unless what? We're going to make Walter the president. This is the scheme. Joanna and Walter start making plans about the upcoming election. I hope she has a lot of pillbox hats if she's going to be the new first lady. Yeah, why can't she be president? Imagine that. It could be like a Susan B. Anthony or something like, be like, well, no woman can vote, but there's no rule say she can't be president. <laughs> you can't air bud the presidency, there ain't no rules that says no one, a woman can't play basketball. You don't know air bud. Da Daniel, this- Are they those like headphones? I, sometimes you are such an innocent. I just want to like kiss you gently on the forehead and release you into the wild to scamper off into the woods. Yeah. I feel like you don't belong well, in don't my you? world. <laughs> <laughs> Air Bud is the dog basketball movie from the 90s. There's a famous bit where they're like, well, can the dog join the team? And the ref is like, ain't no rule in the book says a dog can't play basketball. Why aren't we covering that? Why are we doing this rubbish? Okay. 
So that's, you know, her first interaction with the Men's Association. Not great. Bobby, meanwhile, has found another housewife like them. Her name is Charmaine, and I love her. Okay, she's also recently moved there, I think, um, you know, a month before Bobby and Joanna did. She's a former model, mm. and she's married to some hotshot producer, and they live in a $200,000 house. They turn up at Charmaine's, and she's just a fucking delight. These other Stepford broads are beautiful, sure, but Charmaine is a total smoke show, and she's weird and sarcastic to boot. God, finally someone on this show who's a smartass with spectacular breasts. I feel so seen, Daniel. <laughs> Charmaine loves playing tennis and eating ridiculous lunches, and she's super into astrology. What do you mean ridiculous lunch? Lobster Newberg and Julienne Potatoes. What is Lobster Newberg? What is Lobster Newberg? It is. It's also spelled Lobster Newberg with an H. Oh, no thank you. Lobster Newberg is an American seafood dish. Yeah, no shit. Keep going. Made from lobster. Okay. Butter. Okay. Cream. Ooh. Cognac. Oh. Sherry and eggs with a secret ingredient found to be... If you say chocolate, I'm going to punch you in the face. Cayenne pepper. Oh, that sounds nice. It was invented by Ben Wenberg. Ben Wenberg? <laughs> Wenny Wenny Benberg. <laughs> As he was known to his mates. He was a, <laughs> a sea captain in the fruit trade. Why is this so funny? I feel like you and I have had sherry and brandy. Right. I'll say my line again. Charmaine loves playing tennis and eating these ridiculously opulent lunches, and she is super into astrology. Also, she f***ing hates her husband. Does she care that the men's association is sexist, Joanna and Bobby ask? Nah, whatever gets her husband out of the house and away from her is great. She's also not shy about sharing with the girls her husband's sexual peccadilloes, and she is not into them. He bought her some sort of rubber gimp suit with locks and zippers, made specially, she tells us, in England, the home of the most erotic people in the world. Yeah, that's for sure. But... So her response to her husband when he pulled this suit out for the first time, quote, put it on one of your secretaries. You're not getting me into it. You can't lock up a Scorpio. Nice. She's easily the best character in the book. I love how much she hates having sex with her husband. Her entire ethos is, ugh, look at that guy. I wouldn't even f him with somebody else's <laughs> Also, she's bored as hell, but she isn't about to start house cleaning. That's what the maid's for. You broads come over anytime and we'll get day drunk. I want Charmaine's life. So I'm actually going to put out a call here. I'm putting out a bit of a dating advert to our listeners. You, a disgusting older man, preferably near death with millions of dollars and a rubber fetish I will not indulge. Me, a mouthy fox with a lot of neuroses and a housework allergy. I look great idling by a pool and I will consider all inquiries starting at 1.5 carats or higher. Oh yeah, but like, um... The vegetable. Here's another joke that I thought of, but I forgot. <laughs> Was um, that a joke? Yeah, sort of. Um, <laughs> imagine that song gave you 1.5 carats. Um, it was related. Nope, it's gone. Things quietened down, and Joanna goes about her business unpacking their furniture. What, she hasn't she done that? Yeah. 
I think they've been there a week. Can you cut her a break? No. She discovers some old stuff in the storage room left by the house's previous owners. If it's like Zapruder film level shit, never touch that. If you ever move into a house and you find old like videotape, throw it away. It's accursed. Abby's tips. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, what's in this cupboard, Danny? It was evidence of a women's association from only a few years before, and it was a very big and very active women's association. Legendary feminist, Betty Friedan. <gasps> I thought it was gonna be Grendel's mother. That's a true legendary feminist, isn't it? <laughs> um, Betty Friedan, she came to speak to them. That's a huge gift. That's a coup, yeah. That, that's, like, that's like Taylor Swift just dropping into jam with your garage band. A little bit like that, yeah. It's actually not that far removed, that's not- And she's our most feminist contemporary hero, isn't she? So, weirdly enough, several of the now dolled up housewives uh, that she's met, they used to be members. What? Including the wife of one, Diz. He let her join the Women's Association? The very same. So, Walter's gobsmacked. What happened to them then? Did the club just peter out? Uh, what's the female version of Peter? Kim. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, did the club just peter out? It can't have done. It had more than 50 members. Some weird shit is going down or has gone down in the recent past. Joanna tells Bobby about her discovery and Bobby's also dumbfounded. And Joanna also discovers around this time that Bobby has also had some flattering sketches drawn of her by Ike Mazard. That cheating swine. Well, exactly. It's not like she's the only inspiration. That's... Mm, what a shame. So a bit of a detective story starts here. Joanna decides to go to one of the Stepford wife's house. Her name is Kit Sunderson. And ask her about the old women's association. Association for old women. Oh, the, the, the formerly existing women's... Sorry, I thought this was a different thing for old women. Carry on. I mean, it's not there's nothing wrong with it. Old, old women need to get out too, don't they? There's nothing wrong with it. I don't think they'd call it the Old Women's Association. <laughs> the former. You're right, Daniel. You're right. The former. Former Women's Association. The, <laughs> the late Women's Association. Okay, only for dead trans women. Men, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Kit Sunderson's house is, of course, freakishly tidy. And Kit is a knockout, almost as hot as Charmaine. But Joanna notes that Kit is wearing that same old-fashioned perfume that Walter's mother used to wear. Mm. Ugh. What's the thing that kids are saying nowadays? That bitch's bob is so uptight, it's called a Robert. <laughs> is that something? Yeah, that's yeah. what kids are saying. I <laughs> thought it was funny. So Joanna chats to Kit for a while, and Joanna discovers that, actually, you know what? These women aren't totally perfect all the time. Kit is actually doing some chores for another Stepford wife named Marge McCormick, who's come down with some sort of a bug. See, they are fallible. How's that fallible? The fact that she got the bug? Yeah, the fact right, that she's okay. sick. Wink. Mm. Joanna asks about that old women's association that Kit used to be a part of. Sorry. Not an association for old women. Oh, a women's association could be old women, though. It could be women of all ages. I'm going to need you to get up to speed on that one real quick. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, Kit says, oh, you know, some women just moved away. The meetings got repetitive. We didn't actually accomplish anything. So the rest of us just lost interest. Joanna really tries to engage Kit more on this subject, but she's simply too busy doing Marge McCormick's wash for her. 
Quote, why can't Bill McCormick run a washing machine? I thought he was one of our aerospace brains. Ha ha, yes. Joanna asks. Very good. Yeah, it turns out Bill McCormick, not really a guy who does housework. I'd like to characterize him by a joke my Uncle Dave told me in 1994. He thinks loading the dishwasher means getting his wife drunk. That's a very uncle joke. Yeah, wow. Anyway, why doesn't Bill do the laundry, Joanna asks. Quote, he's taking care of Marge, Kit said, folding the t-shirt. These things came out nice and white, didn't they? Like an actress in a commercial. That's what she was, Joanna felt suddenly. That's what they all were. All the Stepford wives. Actresses in commercials. Pleased with detergents and floor wax, with cleansers, shampoos, and deodorants. Pretty actresses. Big in the bosom, but small in the talent. Playing suburban housewives. Unconvincingly. Too nicey-nice to be real. Ugh, just homecoming queens never die. So Joanna, she's, she's really not giving up. She's really going into her Peter Falk Columbo shtick here. Yeah. I want to see Peter Falk like Mazza did. There should, that should be a filter on the Instagram to make people look like Ike Mazard. I suppose it kind of already is. Daniel, you're a fairly good artist. You can make that happen. What, just draw my own sort of voluptuous Peter Falk? Yeah, looking maybe... For my private records. <laughs> maybe not quite coyly over his shoulder, maybe sort of like ebulliently, you know, with his hair blowing back in the breeze, like he's, you know, a 1970s... Like bush, bushy, blowy hair. So like shampoo commercial. That'd be good, that. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. If you do that, I'll put it up on our Instagram. She's like... Kit, are you actually happy with your life? Kit says her life is delightful, and she's supporting her husband's important work, which he couldn't do if he didn't have a comfortable home to unwind in. Quote, were the women's club meetings more boring than housework? And here Kit sort of freezes like Mitch McConnell before coming out with... <laughs> That's too soon. Oh, well, like most second waivers, you've gotten conservative in your old age. <laughs> So Kit Sunderson replies to, were the women's club meetings more boring than housework? Quote, no, but they weren't as useful as housework. You know the Lululemon logo? Why would you? Is that to have a lemon? No. <laughs> oh, Daniel, no. She's that personified. I was going to say, she's like if the Lululemon logo made a wish on a star to be a real girl. All right. That joke is wasted on you. So, Joanna roams around town that night trying to take interesting photographs of the town to add to her portfolio. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Well, it's not fun. <laughs> the town's actually quite dull. There's only so many lawns you can take photos of, I suppose. <laughs> While walking around, she notices a strange medicinal smell, like sort of like a toy she had as a child. Oh, that's a creepy detail. Yeah. I hate that detail. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, there's some weirdly tangential, isn't it? There's some kind of leap there that mm. you can't quite put together. She tries to locate the smell but can't. And she realizes that the big gothic men's association, so association just for gothic men. So you've got, what, like, Theodoric, uh, Roderick, uh, I'm trying to think of another one. Young Verther. Let's go in a different direction. Woo, very good, yeah. Ambrosio from the Monk. I was going to say friend of the podcast, Horace Walpole. <laughs> Anyway, the big gothic men's association house would be good to take photographs because it's so weird, you know? So she, <laughs> she barely gets her camera out when a police car rolls up. Whoop, whoop. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, well, you were looking at me expectantly. That was, that was a panic whoop. I don't know. I just thought I had a bit of tension. <laughs> and then you just killed it. <laughs> the officer comes out. He's friendly. He asks her details about her work, her camera. You know, oh, how nice it is to live in a small town where a police officer can just stop his car, 
get out and have a friendly, non-threatening chat. Doesn't this guy have any work to do? The f***ing Paw Patrol police make better use of taxpayer money. Also, he's a man who's interested in her professional work, that she notices that too. When he leaves, though, she turns around to photograph the men's association house, only to find out now that all the lights are out and the shades pulled down. <gasps> Was he distracting her? That's what I'm wondering right now. I don't know about you, but I'm wondering, was he distracting her so the men's association could hide whatever they were up to? A police officer doing something shady to protect the status quo? I don't think so, Daniel. Come on, girl, you're getting nutty, she thinks to herself. Quote, what would he have been afraid she'd photograph? An orgy in process? Call girls from the city? Or better yet, from right there in Stepford? She's glad now that they moved to Stepford because she realises that living in the city had clearly made her mistrustful and paranoid. Now we cut to a series of domestic issues, and this happens over and over again over the course of the book. So we'll get a little bit of plot and then just like these scenes of everyday life. The company Walter works for runs into financial difficulty. Pete falls and knocks out some teeth. Joanna's parents come to visit. Quote, they loved the house and Stepford and Joanna's mother admired Carol Van Sant. So serene and efficient. Take a leaf from her book, Joanna. <laughs> The dishwasher broke. Kim got sick. Joanna had a pregnancy scare. She hung out a lot with Bobby and Charmaine. She and Walter, one night, decide to host a dinner party, and Joanna gets a local party service to help her organize it. What's that, then? That's just, like, a local, like, we'll help supply, you know, any of, like, the serving trays, or we'll help cater it, and we'll maybe bring in wait staff. We can source you cheaper wine. It's, like, just, like, a low-key low party organizing so housewives don't have to stress out about it. Okay. I'm like, how big is this party? Well, that's what I'm thinking, like, yeah. It was having, like, staff in your house. Yeah, like, if you have under 20 people, which it sounds like they do, there is no need for that. Yeah. All you need for a party, box of Coors Light, and another box. And you know what's in it? Twister. That's a party, my friend. The woman she hires is delighted by this work because business has been dreadful since that horrible men's association started up. There are no more dinner parties nowadays like there used to be. The men go out and the women stay home. Joanna's surprised by this. Wait, isn't the men's association an old organization? Like some sort of relic from the 1950s? Isn't that some, like, madman shit where everyone would just go and have 14 martinis and then ash their cigarettes all over their wives' psyches? God, no, the woman says. The men's association is only six years old. Six-year-old man's association? What? So... <laughs> well, they act like six-year-olds, don't they, these blokes? That's the thing. <laughs> How weird, thinks Joanna. That's right around the time the women's association went bust. This is important. Because let's remember, just a little tip out for you all in Radio Land that. With DJ Dan! Yeah, although sexism as a practice, maybe thousands of years old or whatever, or gender inequality, it's not remained unchanged. It is historical like all other things. The men's association is a, the product of a new patriarchy. You dig? Anyway, so Joanna has to take a bit of a break from hanging out with Bobby and Charmaine. Bobby is doing a favour for one of the men in town and making a bunch of tape recordings for some science project on voices. This well, is very that's likely. That's an interesting project. Yeah. She's done so much taping that she's given a little laryngitis. <laughs> I have never heard anything sound less like laryngitis. Oh, no. All right, she's given a little laryngitis. Is that it? 
I don't really know what laryngitis is. You've never... I don't have a larynx, so I don't... Need you to... talk an awful lot for someone without a larynx. So, yeah. One of them's got laryngitis. Charmaine, meanwhile, she's being taken against her will <laughs> on some sort of romantic second honeymoon by her husband. Gross. She's disgusted because she knows that he's going to want her, uh, you know, knock boots or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever they call it. And she's just not into sex at all. Joanna's like, well, I like sex very much so, thank you. And Charmaine is like, ooh, why? Well, each to their own. <laughs> and uh, the women make plans to meet up and play tennis when Charmaine's back. Come hell or high water, tennis is the only thing Charmaine enjoys apart from astrology, and that's key to the text. Bear that in mind. <laughs> it's the only thing that Charmaine enjoys apart from astrology is tennis. So remember that, listeners. In their break from hanging out, we have more scenes of domestic chores, PTA meetings, dentist appointments. Joanna's working on her photography. She's buying the children winter clothes. Some nice little scenes of women just being women. <laughs> Bitches be shopping, am I right? So the day of the tennis date rolls around. But when Joanna shows up in her tennis whites, Charmaine answers the front door in a little apron and she says, oh, she's forgotten all about their plans. They've let the housekeeper go. She was doing a sloppy job anyway, and Charmaine is so much more thorough. Her wonderful husband shouldn't have to live in a dirty house. Joanna laughs and she's like, oh, this is a hilarious joke, Charmaine. But Charmaine's like, quote, I'm not joking. Ed's a pretty wonderful guy, and I've been lazy and selfish. I'm through playing tennis, and I'm through reading those astrology books. From now on, I'm going to do right by Ed. She is so serious about this that she's even having her tennis court demolished, and she's putting a putting green in for Ed in its place. Why not have both? Invent a new game. <laughs> oh, you mean on top of each other. Joanna is shocked by this. She's like, what the f***, Charmaine? Is Venus in Gatorade? <laughs> Has Ed drugged you or hypnotized you or something? She tells Walter that Charmaine's gone all hashtag trad wife, and he isn't actually surprised. <laughs> Apparently, Ed was going to lay down the law with Charmaine. Ed was tired of being a Nixon-era Ken. So Bobby goes and sees Charmaine and is likewise horrified. She shares a hunch with Joanna. It's like a three-legged race, but you both share a hunch. It's <laughs> uh, a rubbish joke. I read this thing in Time magazine about a town in Texas with a ridiculously low crime rate, and they found that some sort of tranquilizer had made it into the groundwater. Something like that must be going on in Stepford. What with all the toxic runoff from the computer plants right near Stepford Creek. Maybe we're all being slowly poisoned. Quote, Maybe it's some kind of hormone thing. That would explain the fantastic boobs. But why wouldn't the, Maybe the men do have boobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the men would have boobs, wouldn't they? They're only drinking martinis. It's all the women who are at home all day. That's right, Drink, the men are out at work. Glugging big glasses of water all day. <laughs> so. Damn those hydrated bitches. <laughs> exactly. Joanna accepts it as a possible theory. They should write to the Department of Health or something like that to have them investigate. Bobby says that won't be fast enough. Whatever was strong enough to turn a strong-willed Charmaine into a zombie will have no problem with the two of them. And remember, Charmaine moved here in July, Bobby moved in August, and Joanna moved in September. So it will be coming for them, whatever it is. Ooh. Yeah. I love the little countdown. Yeah. Even if it's not a dangerous chemical, even if it's nothing, Bobby doesn't want to live here. She's asking her husband, Dave, if they can move again. And if he doesn't agree, she's prepared to make his life a living hell. Joanna should do the same. Yeah, Joanna. 
hurt Walter's ass feelings. <laughs> Joanna tells Walter about Bobby's theory that they're all being poisoned or tranquilized or something like that. And Walter's like, you girls are the ones who have to be here all day. If you don't like Stepford, we can move. Let's properly look into this at the end of the school year so we don't disrupt the kids. But you know what? We probably won't even lose money on the house. Joanna is hugely relieved. Bobby reports back, you know what? Dave said the same thing. We don't have to stay here if it's making me anxious and unhappy. Thank God they're not married to overbearing creeps like Charmaine's husband who doesn't even care if she's happy or not. Now, one of the men from the association, the guy who had Bobby do all of those voice recordings, he approaches Joanna and asks for her help, too. So he's doing some big research project on language and voice and regionalism, like some sort of high-tech Henry Higgins. And Joanna, could you please record the dictionary for me, please? Bobby, meanwhile, she's dived headfirst into finding a house in a new neighborhood. She doesn't care about putting the kids out of school in the middle of the year. Yeah, fuck you need to learn geography for, you little shits. Well... I'm sure they learn it in the new schools. So she and Joanna, they go and look at some other places and are delighted by all the tired, dumpy, vibrant women they see. I wish people got this excited when I'm running around looking like hammered dog shit. <laughs> so uh, eventually they get a response to their letter to the Environment Protection Agency, which says there's nothing wrong with Stepford's water. They monitor all pollution near plants and factories. That's good, isn't it? Bullshit, says Bobby. She's only started drinking and eating mass-produced or packaged water and food bought from other towns. Nothing local. She's only hastening the alienation of suburbia by eating <laughs> less, like mass-produced food, isn't she? Because it's a metaphor, isn't it? Hey, listeners, it's a metaphor. Come on. Joanna notices around this time that her sex life with Walter, remember that? The hot sex life where they're doing the legless Margaret or mm-hmm. whatever? That's dwindling. <gasps> No more wheelbarrows or fluffernutters for you guys. Mm. Maybe, God, maybe he's having an affair. She remembers Charmaine and even Bobby, who talked about their husband's weird sexual desires that they refused to participate in. Joanna, she's a bit more of a goer. She's game. She's a gaman. And she asks Walter, like, honey, is there anything maybe you want to try? Or, you know, are, are you cheating? He seems really amused by this, and he says, No, I've just been tired, and I've been really busy. Too busy for these? Turns out, yes, he's still too busy for these. Then we get... She showed him on knees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then we get more domestic scenes. Walter takes the kids sledding. Joanna photographs a bird sanctuary. Pete gets the lead in the school play. They do some Christmas shopping. Bobby asks Joanna to take the kids for the weekend. Dave wants... Ooh, what do you know? A second honeymoon. Oh, I'm getting real horror. Thrills of horror. <laughs> Joanna has a sense of deja vu. Mm, but she can't figure out why. Well, get it together, Joanna. That was like 20 pages ago. Woman brain. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> I like it when you're casually misogynistic. So, uh, yeah, sure, I'll take the kids. She runs into a black woman at the library uh, who only moved to Stepford three days ago. And Joanna has a kind of vague awareness of the racial dynamics in play and she doesn't want to be patronizing. Ooh, we're getting hints of fourth wave feminism to come. Intersectionality one day. Hooray. The woman, Ruth Ann, turns out to be a children's book author, one who Joanna admires because the girl characters actually do things. Subtle propaganda, the woman says. 
they go for coffee and Ruthann asks if the housewives are cold to her because of racism and Joanna's like oh no nothing like that they're just dial tones and then Ruthann's like well at least that lovely men's association let my husband royal join you can never tell where race is going to be an issue so as they leave the coffee shop Joanna notices some of the men from the men's association doing work around town they're setting up a nativity scene for Christmas and the creepy president of the association is holding a fake baby lamb in his arms and glaring at Joanna from across the road. Great. Great bit. <laughs> well, with all of their, like, politics and charity work and decorating the town, how are they ever going to find time for sexism? Exactly. So, Bobby and Dave return from their romantic trip to pick up the kids from Joanna's place. And it seems like the weekend away has done them both a world of good. Bobby is a lot calmer, you know, she's a lot less agitated and paranoid. And she and Dave are positively glowing and good-natured. Lots of sex, Joanna thinks. A few days later, Joanna drops by Bobby's house and discovers none of the normal chaos. Mm. Abnormal chaos. <laughs> it's immaculate. All right, go the other way. And Bobby looks good. She looks as good as she did after their second honeymoon. Joanna notices her hair is done, she's wearing makeup, her clothes are stylish. She's even wearing some sort of push-up bra or girdle or something because her figure is loads better. She's like, Bobby, why do you not look like you've just come out of a bog? <laughs> Grendel's mother. <laughs> yeah, this is her second mm. act. Bobby launches into a familiar spiel. I was being selfish. It's no disgrace to be a good homemaker. This is my job, and Dave can't do his job unless I do mine. And would you like a sandwich? Yes, please. Joanna freaks oh. out. No, thank you. She's got a case of the Charmaines. Oh. Why, Joanna, don't be ridiculous. Stepford is a, quote, healthful place uh. to live. I can't believe I was thinking of leaving. Joanna, she calls Walter at work, and she's in a blind panic. <laughs> it's taken Bobby. I'm getting out of here today. Have you seen our bank books? I need to know how much we have so I can buy a house elsewhere immediately and all that stuff. All right, for some, if you can pay cash on a I mean, God, it was the 70s, so a house was like $900, but mm. you mortgageless freaks. <laughs> Walter says, don't do anything. I'll be home in an hour. So while she's waiting, Joanna calls their estate agent and asks if he thinks they'll lose money if they put their house on the market tomorrow. Oh, God, no. The estate agent's like, there's a huge demand to live in Stepford. So Walter comes home and they get in a big fight because Joanna wants to move immediately, but he says they need to wait till the summer. Joanna says if things progress the way they did for Charmaine and Bobby, then she only has a month left until she's changed or taken. Walter thinks she's being ridiculous. Yeah, are you on your woman's period? You're being hysterical. Exactly, yeah. Why can't you have more like a man's period? <laughs> it's in the magazines. <laughs> Um, plus, Bobby needed to clean her house. It was a pigsty, so, yeah. Oh, well, f*** you, Walter. Bang to rights. Maybe she was being selfish and lazy. And, quote, if Bobby's taking an interest in her appearance, it's about time. It wouldn't hurt you to look in a mirror once in a while. Oh, double extremely f*** you. Triple dog f*** you. Joanna asks him if that's why Stepford was the only place he'd move. If someone passed along a message to him and told him his wife would change if they lived there for four months. Walter pulls the old, you're being irrational, chestnut. 
and says, you know, I think you need to go to a psychiatrist. How about that guy from the Men's Association? Oh, eat shit and die, yeah, not, Joanna says. Not bloody likely. Joanna agrees to meet with a psychiatrist, but only if it's a woman and only if it's somebody Joanna picks herself. Mm-hmm. She goes to see her therapist, and there's a really nice bit of tension in this scene about if this woman can be trusted. Joanna explains the situation, and she's like, I'm beginning to suspect all the men are behind it. Charmaine's husband, Dave... Even Walter must be in on it. And so many of these men work in some sort of technical field. The therapist is like, Joanna, you know, it sounds like you've been really traumatized by the shock of a big move to the suburbs. It sounds like you've had slightly too heavy a dose of feminism. And you're becoming a bit paranoid in your resentment and fear of men. The great thing about living in a city is you can go out at two in the morning and buy a pint of feminism. (laughs) From any corner shop. (laughs) Well... Joanna pushes back on this, and she says these women are more like actresses on TV. They're like a hall of presidents. <gasps> Wait, and this is where she makes a connection. The hall of presidents in Disneyland. Shit. It goes all the way to the top. It goes all the way to the robot president. <laughs> The therapist says, okay, maybe you should arrange a series of therapy sessions with me. But Joanna's like, I don't need it. I'm not crazy. The world is crazy. Busted this thing wide open. (laughs) Exactly. So we have this detective montage of Joanna doing a bit of Peter Falk. You know, she goes through the newspaper microfiche at the library. She investigates the start of the men's association six years ago and the immediate decline of the women's association soon after. So the men who started it up were Diz, a.k.a. the Disney guy, a.k.a. Diz, a computer engineer, a chemist specializing in plastics. Maybe it's that guy from The Graduate. Oh, yeah. And the mean girls who are called the plastics. <laughs> a man in electrical circuitry. A man. Notice they're all men. Interesting. A man. That's not interesting. That's, that's a given. A man in optical senses. Why? Because um, only men can do STEM, Daniel? Exactly, exactly. Joanna, she's putting it all together. The wives are robots. Holy shit, these guys are manifesting their own deepfake porn? If that's how you want to say it. (laughs) The women, they're being killed and replaced with their own glamorous robots. She goes home and tells Walter that, I know your plot. I'm taking the kids. We're going to the city and I'm leaving you, Sonny Jim. (laughs) Uh, Not Slim Jim. Because you don't know what those are. So this is why you were so quote-unquote busy at work lately and why the men's association has been working so hard on their latest charity project. A rush order, is it? I'm getting close to the truth, so you have to convert me in a hurry. Yeah, pull the other one, love. Like, what must the vision boards in the men's association look like? Yeah, Walter's like, you're losing it, love. Uh, The kids aren't even here. Because you were late getting home from your first therapy session, I didn't know what sort of emotional state you'd be in. You know, being a, a fickle lady as you are. <laughs> so I've, you know, decided it'd probably be best for the kids to stay with friends. Oh, Walter is serving up some O.J. Simpson knowing he's about to get away with it vibes. I don't think he's talented enough to... Well, he's good at the sports. Right. But those skills aren't transferable to robotics. N- no. You know what, Daniel? When you're right, you're right. You really <laughs> hit the nail on the head. So... We're getting properly into, like, the big thriller set piece. 
And so we enter Endgame. <laughs> damn it, Daniel. Say. I hate it when you say that. I hate it so much. <laughs> so there's a bunch of running around and, and yelling at each other. Let's well, Scooby-Doo. They play cat and mouse for a little bit. And when Walter goes upstairs looking for her, she runs downstairs but discovers that he's hidden her car keys in her wallet. <clears throat> Where's she going to go? Ruth Ann, you know, her, the, the new black lady in town, she's the only one Joanna can trust. But it's an hour's walk to Ruth Ann's house. Suburbia. Mm, Policing space. And every man in town is going to be out looking for her. How does she escape and hide with no money or car in winter? Sure enough, you know, she's running down the street and she sees cars out prowling for her and she's hiding in bushes. And before long, Joanna is caught and cornered by two of the men from the association. They do a whole gaslighting. Oh, Walter's so worried. He told us, you think we're making robots? That's crazy. We're not a bunch of Einsteins. Well, Einstein didn't know anything about robotics. <laughs> that's, that's how you get them. That's, that's how you get confused, the buggers. <laughs> If somebody says, hey, we ain't a bunch of Einsteins, I don't think the actual technical specialism of Einstein is high on their list of priorities. No, you do it to confuse them. (laughs) Yeah, so they offer her every excuse in the book, and they even are like, hey, Joanna, you know, if you want to come with us to the men's association, we'll let you look it over from top to bottom, and you can see there's no robot-making factory. Kind of cottage industry, really. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that what they say? (laughs) Cottage industry. The the labor, the way it's structured, you know. She's like, yeah, hard pass. The only way you're going to get me into the men's association is if you drag me in strapped to a Hannibal Lecter-style handcart. What if suggests one of the men we ask one of our wives who you think is a robot to prick her finger surely you don't think we could fake a woman bleeding do you robots can't bleed which sounds like the title of an excellent they might be giant song joanna if you think that they are good enough to fake completely passable robots why would you think they wouldn't have blood in them like of course they can falsify blood this is like so crazy of you as well that you'd be like that's the thing that you'd be like <laughs> getting them on it's more mental that you'd be like let's go and find one of our wives to see if she'll cut herself that's the mad part. yeah yeah exactly joanna though she's exhausted and freezing and completely worn down by relentless haranguing <laughs> yeah men, men giving, giving it, it all, all that. that yeah okay she agrees because she's like also they have me cornered like they could kill me what else am i gonna do robot this robot that robot <laughs> That's what folks like, aren't they? So she's Robot like, Wars. They did not look like women, did they? The robots in Robot Wars. Are you aware of this program? I am aware of this program. Well, they didn't look like women. Well, it's no women I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> not, I don't want to, you know, take some sorts to make a world. The robots were gendered. Sorry to keep going, but the robots in uh, Sergeant Bash, and there was one called Matilda. I'm assuming Sergeant Bash was a man. That's very gender normative of you. I think they said he about him. So I'm just saying, it's funny that the robots were gendered despite the fact that they displayed no sexual characteristics, secondary or primary. That is funny because at the very least, if it's a robot, I feel like they should all be one gender, like ships. Ships are always she. That's not true. In other languages, they're different. Because I went to the French Maritime Museum, they had like the figureheads and for the male named types of ships, they had male figureheads and for the female, they had female figureheads. I don't like that. I don't want to see a man on top of a boat. It it looked pretty good. The bow of a boat belongs to a woman. I'm sorry, that's a woman's only space. Not to get all Graham Linehan. (laughs) Well, these look good though because they're all like Neptune and stuff. Mm, I don't like it. I don't care for it and I don't want it. Okay. 
It's a rare day that I scream at a boat, but if I saw that, I would say, hi thee back, Satan. I don't want it. Okay. We gotta finish this, friend. Okay. She's like, fine, we'll go to Bobby's house. We'll see if she bleeds. Let's see if Bobby bleeds. Like the predator. Yeah. So as Joanna walks to the car, she's overwhelmed by how crazy and paranoid she's become. This is ridiculous. She does need therapy. Get therapy. You've been saying it, haven't you? I've been saying it all along. She's so embarrassed. The whole town will be talking about it. God, she just wants to be happy. Her and Walter, they used to be so happy. They go to Bobby's and Joanna realizes that there's no way what she's looking at could be a robot. Okay, Bobby's bland and beautiful now, but she's a real living, breathing, bleeding human in front of me. A bleeding woman? Bobby happily agrees to cut herself and takes out a huge butcher knife to cut her finger, quote, like a dog. That's, no, not, that's the Kafka thing. That's the Kafka thing. Sorry, just butcher knives are back to back in these episodes. We've had a few funny, um... Pairings. Yeah, continuity in this series. Joanna realises that there's a ton of loud music playing and she asks Bobby why. Oh, no reason. Come closer, Joanna. It'll ease your mind. I don't mind giving myself a little nick. It's at that moment that Joanna realises the men don't even do their own dirty work. They have the robots do it. The loud music is in case Joanna screams and any non-robot neighbours hear. Bobby nears closer and closer. Fade to black. Fade to black. Three months later, we cut to Ruth Ann. She's been working on her latest book and has been a bit of a hermit, so she hasn't really been embedding herself in the new community. She goes to the supermarket and runs into Joanna, that nice photographer lady. Man, Joanna looks terrific. Way prettier than I remembered. Does she always have a zoom lens embedded in her head? (laughs) That could be a perk if you're a robot photographer. So they chat, and Joanna says she's so sorry she hasn't called, but she's just been so busy with housework. Oh, my photography? I don't have time for that. I was never very talented anyway, and there are so many better uses of my time. Long story short, this is confirmation that, you know, Joanna has been science experimented, and she's been turned into a Franken-slut. Ruthann doesn't know this, of course, and she goes home and focuses on her work. Her husband asks if she's done, but she's like, no, I need to keep working through this problem. And honey, could you just take the girls to McDonald's for dinner instead of me cooking something? And he's like, of course, finish up working. I don't mind. The end. Whoa. So he's in on it, you think? Probably. In the meantime, he's got to kind of step for himself up. I'm already kind of going into analysis mode here, but... That's funny that he'd be like, of course my darling, your work is very important to me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. The, yeah. yeah. So do you think it's your fault that I am such a beacon of golden, enticing womanhood? Did you do this to me? Well, as a humanities person, I can comfortably say no. <laughs> Regardless, I think you're going to be first up against the wall in both the feminist and the robot revolution. I think I have a really good casting for this. Do you know the director, Anna Lily Amapur? She did A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh, yeah. And she did my favorite episode of the Guillermo del Toro Cabinet of Curiosities. So she does a lot of, like, really funny, like, comedy horror. Because she, she focuses a lot on, like, the grotesqueness of, mm-hmm. like, femininity, performative femininity as well. So mm-hmm. she's, like, the perfect director for this. And as my cast, I want Emma Stone as Joanna... 
Because I think she has the acting chops to do both drama and comedy. Mm. And she can sort of ugly down and pretty up Mm. really, really well. I want Scarlett Johansson as Charmaine. And the key to this all is Bobby. Bobby is going to be played by Natasha Lyonne. She's the wonderful, loudmouth Jewish friend. Oh, yeah. But the reason why I thought of this is because Natasha Lyonne, famous chain smoker with that great smoker's voice, she's recently stopped smoking and her voice has like smoothed out and she feels Stepfordy now. And it, it's, mm. it kind of freaked me out whenever she does interviews yeah. now. I just thought you were going to say Disney's The Stepford Wife. <laughs> Do a cartoon of it. That idea is terrible. Okay. Just, just spitballing here. And now for our segment, Bad Goodreads Reviews. This book was full of misogyny. (laughs) I didn't like it. One star. Yes, friend, that's the point. It's a commentary on it. I thought that The Stepford Wives was woeful. To see why, see my blog. One star. Did you look at it? No! Okay. So, does it actually explain what the heck is going on in Stepford, or am I dumb? One star. You friend are dumb. What is up with the popularity of Lobster Newberg in the early 70s? Two stars. Yeah, well, it sounds very rich. Right, let's do some analysis. Let's talk about the form and the genre in this. Okay, yes, please. Because it's only three big chapters, actually. There's very, you know, it's a short book, but there's very little by way of division. Mm. Most of these are sort of like very small episodes that kind of segue mm. into each other, just just like in life, you know, yeah. one day kind of blends into the other. Secreted amidst the domesticity. Yeah, it's a lot of action that's like interspersed with Joanna doing chores. Like, So it's these sinister little details that get swept under the umbrella of real life, like when you're not paying attention. And I think that's why some people thought it was boring, because I think they expected it to be constant like thrills and spills. Yeah, That's not how thrillers really work, is it normally? I think they need to have that kind yeah. of mundanity alongside. The, the creeping dread of this, yeah. where like, you know, she missed the small detail because she's busy running after the kids. Also, it's about how domestic life in itself can have a creepiness. Well, the the routines of it yeah, and things exactly. like that. Yeah, yeah. That that you she, already are kind of robot. Exactly. Yeah. There's also, like, you see the influence of a lot of other genres here. There's a ton of gothic stuff, so, like, mm. the isolated gated then, house yeah, on the hill. That's more like a trad gothic, almost, yeah. as opposed to the suburban stuff. Yeah. And then, like, the invasion of the domestic space, the sort of body snatcher thing. Well, that's like. what I was going Yeah, the idea of people being systematically replaced with... Yeah doubles or what have you that's quite a 1950s yes. or b-movie motif which yeah. i think he probably is consciously playing, on. playing on yeah could we talk about the internal logic of this story just please so how far does this turning you know our women folk into robots extend are these men going to do the same thing with their daughters like what happens if their daughter marries a man from stepford who does the same thing there are limits surely to yeah. men's allegiance to other men having you know a bang made like if we think about this in terms of satisfaction and consumerism Hmm. because this is all about like we want to have our american dream and Mm. we all have money we're rich white people and you know and products are everywhere Mm. in this right the idea the implication is that women are threatening to take away from men what men think they're entitled to by women advocating for their own agency and refusing Mm. to be objects so because of that they have to have all their agency removed and turned into literal objects right you know to to reuse our joke well why don't you just a roomba yeah 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 but 
If we think about masculine self-confidence, right? Yeah. If every man in the neighborhood knows you didn't actually win that woman, like we built her, that's not really like a boost to your machismo, is it? I don't have any charm or sexual prowess and every man knows it because I had to, you know. Well, yeah. But, and even if she's like a monetary status symbol of like, I can afford to move here and I can afford to build this robot wife. Yeah, well, every other dude has the exact same thing. As this sort of status symbol thing, it just feels like in the consumerist narrative of this, these men are going to be chronically unsatisfied. Yeah, yeah, that's an important point. Even on like an interpersonal level, like I don't want to sound like O'Brien or whatever in 1984, mm -hmm. where he says like, oh, I gain a kind of gratification from just exerting power. Mm -hmm. Surely, in that case, having a wife like that would be an expression of your own power. Mm -hmm. But if she can't feel it because she's a robot, is this psychotic of me to even say that? But if you no, can't feel it, then what's the point? Like, what do you, you know what I mean? Almost, it's like if you don't have that kind of master-slave yeah. dialectic type thing where you recognise that somebody else has suborned themselves to you consciously. Then, yeah, it's, then you're not going to be gratified by that. Yeah, it's no longer like I can see her there and she's a real woman and I've broken her spirit and exactly. bent her to my will. Yeah. You're like, no, that's just a toaster that I have sex with. Yeah. I've already got one of them. <laughs> but, but the, like, you're just going to be as unsatisfied because the woman is now so compliant. There's no sense of the chase. They're, like, these guys are going to be off having affairs with <laughs> other women. Or it's other just, appliances. Well, yeah, it's just, there's a nice looking waffle maker over there. Yeah. Um, and I also thought like, okay, technically, I suppose if you have a, a wife who never needs sleep and can just do this labor constantly, maybe that'll lighten your load a little bit. Mm. But I actually thought men have just added a whole bunch of stuff to their own plates by doing this mm. because I don't think they realize even with naturally beautiful wives or not naturally beautiful mm. wives, but do you know how much labor it is keeping up with women's fashion and also do we... I was thinking that. That's going to be that, really pricey. That's, that's Yeah, to, to replace that, but also just the emotional labor of paying attention to these sorts of things. Yeah. I know the women are dressed slightly you know, retro, but you don't want them to become frumpy. No, yeah. But also the idea of like, oh, my wife gave me this nice surprise for my birthday. My wife did this nice thing for the kids and they're not creative. They're taught to respond to things, but mm. they don't feel anything. Yeah. Well, we assume. Unless, if they are like AI, then they're going to, Maybe. down the line, they're just going to have their own, the, the same problem again. The, the robots are going to want autonomy or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's no, that, I do. Like, it's capital volume one machinery you can't exploit that you have to consciously maintain that and you know you, you only get out of it what you put mm -hmm. into it i get that these men are so deluded maybe this isn't yeah. a problem but it's like oh she she made my favorite meal did she do it because she loves me or because i programmed her to yeah. do that you know putting it on a random schedule also like on a libidinal level like if you've got all these weird fetishes mm -hmm. maybe part of the the appeal of the fetish is that the wives are sort of tepid about it yeah like it wouldn't be a kink if the robot was just like okay yes affirmative i'll put on the gimp mask now you know yeah. you know what i mean like it would, it would cease to have that kind of frisson so yeah if you don't need a safe word how exciting and dangerous is it yeah. really um but if the men truly desired happiness they would just replace themselves with robots <laughs> like, that seems like oblivion yeah yeah because they kind of already are a bit like robots as i was sort of saying before that yeah they seem almost like parodies of men but maybe that's also part of the point Building off of that, I wondered if this was a bit of a commentary on the sorts of emerging tech bros we saw in the mm, early 70s. Yeah. I mean, I would not be surprised if one day Elon Musk floats this idea of, like, you know, replacing women with robots because his latest girlfriend isn't properly optimized. Mm. You tell me he has never once thought, what do women want? I wish I could 
pop them open and see what's under the hood and figure <laughs> it out. Let's talk a little bit about immaturity, building yes. off of the, yes, the yes. tech bro stuff. So a lot of the men in this book act around Joanna like sort of tongue-tied schoolboys. They have no idea what to do with a real woman with thoughts and emotions. Mm. And so it's, it's just funny that they seem really immature, but also like the idea of like smells, childhood smells percolate through this. Yeah. So like Walter's mother's perfume, like that idea of like, oh, I want my wife to wear my mummy's perfume. Yeah, no, there's definitely a psychoanalytic component, isn't there? Isn't there? That's, again, though, that's the thing that like, as we've already been saying, that in practice, fulfilling the Oedipus complex is not going to resolve it. I'm sure I'm not the first person <laughs> to say that. And it's the same here, right? That Do you speak from experience in practice? <laughs> Just so we're clear. Um, well, I've read Oedipus. Let's just mm-hmm. leave it at that. Okay. Finally, I want to talk about the whole of presidents. Well, that connects on. I mean, connecting onto the immaturity thing and the yes. childhood thing, a big portion of this is Disney. Hmm. Like, this is where the idea came from in the, your, you know, beloved Hall of Presidents. You know, Disney sells a fantasy. Hmm. These are Cinderella's that you can have sex with. But Cinderella is, you know, her story only exists because of her sexual viability, both to a prince and to an audience. Also... Even with Cinderella, it's either housework or princess, mm-hmm. not both. When she became a princess, she stopped doing the housework. You that know I mean? we no, maybe she missed it. Maybe what, she, she just carried on. Maybe she kept it on as a little hobby. I really like ironing. If I became a princess, I'd probably keep doing my ironing. I like it. Would you fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. From first week, you'd be like, actually, it's all right, and then no. Soon the butler would be bringing you your iron newspapers. I just think that this was a whole generation of boys who. We're looking to capture the raw sexuality of that Jetsons robot in real life. Don't tell me that didn't feed into this. <laughs> All right, here's some advice. So this book has two famously bad film adaptations. And I know a lot of people would think, oh God, it's a waste of time for me to watch something that I know is terrible, right? But I think it can really clarify a lot about what the book does if you know you have something that just has so colossally f- it up. So what did these films get wrong or leave out? That can really help you define what's central to this book Mm. for you. As a bit of a spoiler, in the 2004 Stepford Wives adaptation, the big twist is that actually everyone's a robot, the men too, and it's all led by a woman, and she just likes things to be nice. So it completely takes out any of this commentary about like gender and race dynamics Mm. it just makes it completely pointless and it's also stupid there's one point where like one of the women is also an atm and just spits a bunch of money out of her mouth like it's so stupid it doesn't make any damn sense that doesn't sound very good right so now our clue to the next episode now we did a spooky text today but the next one will be our proper halloween episode so i think daniel we're gonna need a true master of horror here and rather than doing just one text, I thought we'd do an anthology of this author's short stories. But which author are we going to choose? There's a surprising number of them out there that would fit the bill. Is he called Bill? Is that the clue? No, no, that's... No, I the, thought that was some kind of... There was no subtext in there. Of, no. Who's Bill? Just before... You, there are going to be a Shakespeare? few... A few heavy hitters that people are going to guess, but just Google horror writers' short stories and you'll see how many big names pop up. Hmm, who's it gonna be? Is he called Bill? No, again, no. Right, Right, so write into our email, tweet us, Instagram us, 
TikTok us, uh, Patreon us, subscribe wherever you listen. I'm wishing you <laughs> a lovely autumn. <laughs> you don't say shit like that. Thanks for listening to Save Me From My Shelf. Our music is The Overture to Don Giovanni by Mozart, and cover art is by Catherine Wu. Our thanks to Aston University's Centre for Critical Inquiry and to Society and Culture for funding the startup of this podcast. Contact us at savemefrommyshelf at gmail.com or at smfms underscore podcast on Twitter. And do not, I'm going to remind you, do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Do not forget. Thank you.